0: Hi everybody, Jimmy DeYoung, and welcome to Prophecy Today. So glad to have you along. I need 90 minutes. You knew I would say that. We need to be able to go around the world to our broadcast partners, get their reports to help us understand current events, and then I'll look at it in light of Bible prophecy at the end of our 90 minutes when I take a look at the book. We want you to be able to understand what they are going to tell us. David Dolan has his Middle East news update john rood he's going to be covering the European Union. Bob McGinnis is going to join us. He has been a China watcher for a long time. want to get into a discussion with Colonel McGinnis from the Pentagon about China. Man, they are on the move. Jim Jr. has some questions for Prophecy Q&A. You need to get a hold of Jim. Get your question on the air with us. And then we're going to be talking with David James, our weekly conversation as well. I'm here at Broadcast Central Chattanooga, Tennessee. We'll leave right after the broadcast. Judy and I Headed out, we're going over to the Jackson, Mississippi area, actually Pearl, Mississippi, and the Antioch Baptist Church. The folks are going to join us. We're going to have a three-day prophecy conference. And Guess what? We are going to have a dinner on the ground on uh, the afternoon of Sunday. I love those times. These ladies bring their best meals that they can make, and I get to enjoy all of them. So if you're in the Pearl, Mississippi area, Antioch Baptist Church. That's where we'll be all day Sunday, Monday, and Tuesday. Well, let's go to the Washington, D.C. area. Our good buddy and broadcast partner, there is Ken Temmerman on the Catbird Sea, but not on the Catbird Sea today. He's on the move. We've caught him someplace in the area. He is always on the move when he's not traveling around the world Some area of this world where he's reporting for us what's happening. Uh, But Washington is the area today. And let me get underway with this question for you, Kim. Iran is massing troops there surrounding the area of Iraq and Syria. Now, last week we talked about Islamic State, which you've written extensively about, your new book especially. And uh, we know that they're coming back to power, at least training to come back to power in Iraq and Syria. Syria, now Iran, amassing their troops around that. What's happening?
1: Well, what the Iranians are trying to do is to assert total control over Iraq, and in particular to make sure that rival Shiite militias, notably uh, there's a militia that was set up by Ayatollah Sistani, who is far more moderate than the Iranian Ayatollahs. They want to make sure that that um, militia uh, is off the ground in Anbar province, so the Iranians control what's called the land bridge between Iran through Syria to the Mediterranean. So they're bringing their troops back into Iraq from that border area to uh, make sure that they can control the border and keep it open.
0: Well, they have a militia in there with Mctada Sadr, do they not? That can assist in this.
1: Well, Mctada Sadr is he's an interesting character. He uh, sometimes works with Iranians, sometimes he doesn't. He built himself during the recent uh, parliamentary elections in Iraq as an independent voice, and he's shown himself at times to be independent of the Iranians. But no, this is actually a, a different militia that works with uh, Ayatollah Sistani that is not working with the Iranians, so the Iranians are trying to push them out of Anbar province to make sure that their faithful troops control, that's the western part of Iraq, so their faithful troops control the land border between Iraq and Syria at a place called Abu Kamal.
0: Ken, this week John Bolton has been in Israel on a very important visit. He made a statement while there that blocking the nuclear weapons of mass destruction from Iran was of the highest importance as far as the United States is concerned, in particular for Israel, but actually for the entire Middle East, would you not say?
1: Well, and of course it is. President Trump has said so. Uh, Secretary of State Mike Pompeo has said so. So John Bolton wasn't exactly making news, so to speak, but... What he was doing, very important, Jimmy, was showing the solid, solid U.S.-Israel relationship, standing side by side with Bibi Netanyahu, saying that we are both going to work together to make sure that Iran never has a nuclear weapon. And they gave a joint press conference during his trip to Israel, and, and Bolton very explicitly approved and thanked Israel for its airstrikes, against Iranian targets in Syria. Now, that is a, a, a bolder thing to do. Certainly, if we had been back in the Obama administration, Obama would be blasting Israel for doing this. He would be taking Israel to the United Nations, filing some form of complaint or other. And now we have an administration, praise the Lord, that is thanking Israel for doing not only what's in its interest, its national security interest, but in helping to secure the region by hitting the Iranians in Syria.
0: Another interesting statement from John Bolton. He said that Russia basically is stuck in Syria, but Iran must leave. Now I hope they follow through with that. But an interesting statement.
1: Well, it, that's right. Remember, uh, before the summit with Putin in Helsinki, there was a, a rumor floating about that the U.S. would offer them a trade where you know Russia could either get Iran out of. Syria altogether, or at least get them the 80 miles away from the border, and the U.S. might consider lifting some some of the sanctions on Russia. That didn't happen, as we know. I think the U.S. is is reevaluating its position here, and it understands that the Russians haven't exactly bitten off more than they can chew, but they're deeper involved in Syria than they probably want to be. The Russian Defense Ministry this past week released figures showing just how extensive Their involvement has been 63,000 Russian troops have uh, been deployed to Syria at one point or another. That's not all at the same time, but at one point or another since 2015. And they have uh, launched more airstrikes, more than 30,000 airstrikes, than the U.S.-led coalition has against ISIS targets. So they are in there big time. They've also taken Syria as a proving ground for new weapon systems. The um, Russian Defense Ministry announced that it had tested over 200 new weapon systems during the conflict. So I think the Russians are now looking for a kind of diplomatic way to uh, to reduce their involvement in Syria, and especially to get somebody else to pay for the reconstruction of Syria as this civil war winds
0: to a close. Boy, that is very interesting, Ken, because of the fact that uh, the Chinese are considering going into Syria. I mean, this is really, I think, breaking news. And they say they're willing to put up the money and put up the manpower to reconstruct the war-torn state of Syria. This is a very interesting development, is it not?
1: Uh, it, it is a strategic development, Jimmy, that, frankly, I don't think a lot of people saw coming. Uh, the Chinese have, are now offering publicly to help reconstruct Syria, to invest in Syria, and they're going to call this part of their Belt and Road Initiative, opening up the old Silk Road, right, from China up to Europe. And so they're talking about building a rail line between Tripoli, Lebanon, on the Mediterranean border, up into Syria, so they can transport goods into Syria. They're talking about rebuilding the ports Perhaps dredging them, making them deeper for large container ships. And the, the Chinese have been also, they've had naval exercises in the Mediterranean in recent months. This is pretty astonishing. They're investing in Israel as well. And that's actually got a number of U.S. and Israeli leaders a bit concerned. You had Admiral Ruffhead, the former commander of, the, of naval intelligence, who um, said at a conference in Israel this past week the Chinese involvement in the port of Haifa is allowing them to potentially uh, intercept strategic communications of Israeli weapon systems, of, of the Israeli command, and they're worried about this growing uh, Chinese presence throughout the region, having private security companies undoubtedly run by the Chinese military and Chinese military intelligence to take care of their workers, to survey and, and keep their workers safe with it when they're working on projects. So China is investing big time in the region, And it means it's no longer going to be the U.S. and the Russians competing, but it's going to be the U.S., the Russians, and the Chinese.
0: Well, give me a bit more about that uh, expert naval operations out there in the Mediterranean, saying China has been pretty active in the Mediterranean. That's setting the stage for what you're really talking about, isn't it?
1: Well, that's right. So it's it's Israel, it's Syria, and Lebanon. They're also they just signed a contract to uh, essentially take over the management of the port of Piraeus. Uh, that's the famous port in Greece that serves Athens. Anybody who's ever been to Greece on a vacation knows that you've got to get from Athens down to Piraeus uh, to get out on a ship to go to the island. Well, now the Chinese are going to run that port. That gives them a virtual, a virtual lock on the Mediterranean, something that even five years ago would have been completely inconceivable.
0: And, indeed, they own, what, half of the United States? They have mortgages with everything and everybody in the United States. Uh, I mean, China's got a trend of wanting to take over this world, I would say. Would you not agree with that?
1: Well, the Chinese have a couple of goals. One is to become the world's largest economy soon. I don't think they're going to accomplish that. Another goal is to become more powerful militarily than the United States by 2050. I don't think they're going to accomplish that. Uh, Unless we have another president or two, like Obama, who uh, was dead set on weakening the United States of America. And the Chinese economy is suffering these days. It's not as strong as it was. They've lost several trillion dollars in wealth over the past year. They're not growing as fast as they were before, but they still have a ton of cash. And we're talking trillions of dollars in cash. And they're using it on this strategic Belt and Road Initiative to make sure that they have a staging area on the sea and on the ground so they can move from China all the way up to Europe. That is a big deal, and that they will succeed in doing.
0: And this information is so key, my dear friend, if you're a student of Bible prophecy. China is mentioned in prophecy, Revelation 16:12. the kings of the east making their way ultimately into Jerusalem, for what everybody refers to as the Battle of Armageddon. More on that later in in the broadcast. Ken, outstanding report. Appreciate so much what you bring to the table for us. It's key for every one of our listeners. Thank you for being available. We'll have another conversation next week.
1: Thank you, Jimmy. God bless.
0: We're going to take a break. When we come back, David Dolan's standing by. He's got a Middle East News update for us right here on Prophecy Today.
2: Every believer needs to understand Bible prophecy. Whether you're a novice or a student, we are here to help you. Just visit prophecytoday.com and click on the link for the Prophecy Bookstore. There you will find a large selection of CD sets, DVDs, and books for the Bible Prophecy Student written by Dr. Jimmy DeYoung and other prominent scholars. While you're there, be sure to check out Dr. DeYoung's latest series called Presidents, Politics, and Prophecy.
0: Welcome back to Prophecy Today. Our broadcast partner, David Dolan, is standing by. He's going to cover the Middle East with us, so we want you to keep the dial set right where it is. This is a very important report, and David, on top of all of it, a journalist in that region of the world for over 35 years. That's why we, every single week, go to our good buddy, David Dolan. Let me just remind you, Judy and I will be at the Antioch Baptist Church in Pearl, Mississippi. That's the Jackson, Mississippi area. We'll be leaving right after the broadcast is over, making our way over to Mississippi you're in that area, look for us. I'll give you more information at the beginning of the next conversation that we have with another broadcast partner. But I've got so much to talk with David about, I want to get right to it. David, Hamas saying their goal is to liberate Jerusalem. As if we did not already know that, they're emphasizing it again.
3: Yes, Jimmy, and this comes as uh, all sorts of developments this week really connected to Hamas. The Palestinian Authority imposed sanctions, economic sanctions, on its own people in the Gaza Strip to try to force Hamas out of power, some are saying. So they're warning Israel that if Israel doesn't put pressure on Abbas to stop this immediately, Israel will pay the consequences. Well, this came as Defense Minister Lieberman said that he does not believe in any peace accord with Hamas. Hamas is a terror group, he said, only, they'll always only be a terror group, he said what they can have is quiet if they keep quiet they'll have quiet and their economy can function but if not if there are continuing attacks there won't be quiet well on friday there was again uh, a fire started a big forest fire started by uh, one of those palestinian incendiary balloons sent across the border to do just that so it doesn't look very quiet but peace talks still going on in cairo unofficial between israel And Hamas, basically, indirectly. But again, Lieberman saying, well, we might, you know, go for something temporary. And I've discussed this with you before. They're more worried right now about the situation, which is escalating in the North. And, you know, so this is something they want to keep quiet if they can. But Hamas is uh, determined to destroy Israel in the statement you began with, just shows it once again uh, Lieberman's right they're a terror organization that wants to see the total destruction of Israel well Israel's just not going to sit and wait for that
0: you no know, i thought there might not be a lot of noise going on down in the Gaza Strip area because of the Muslim Hajj And that's the time they make their way into Mecca and Medina for the annual pilgrimage. They're there. But even there, they're talking about Jerusalem and the embassy being moved, the U.S. embassy moved to Jerusalem. And so I guess that's exciting them and the people there at the Hajj saying, hey, the problem is that move by that embassy to Jerusalem, thus the disunity among all the Muslim worlds. It doesn't look like that's going to go away, does it?
3: Well, Jimmy, they can focus on very few things that they all agree about, and even the Shiite Muslims and the Sunnis all agree, and that is, of course, that there should be no Jewish control over al-Quds, they call it, uh, the holy city. Of Jerusalem, and uh, that unites them. But as I said in the previous statement about new sanctions from the PA against Hamas, you know the internal disputes between the Arabs are are many, and of course there's wars going on in Yemen and Syria and Iraq and all of this stuff happening. So, you know, this is just a rhetorical point that they can all agree on for the most part that Israel should be destroyed. So that's what it was, but essentially they're saying, and that's what they can mostly agree on.
0: David, according to the Jewish calendar, it was 25 years ago. Now, really, the date on the Christian calendar was September the 13th, 1993. But I'm talking about the signing of the Oslo Accords there at the White House, Bill Clinton, uh, the Prime Minister of Israel, Yitzhak Rabin, and Yasser Arafat how ironic was that? 25 years, it's dead. It doesn't look like it's going to mean anything as it relates to the Israeli-Palestinian conflict, does it?
3: Well, no, and that's why precisely President Trump is talking about a new peace process and putting some proposals forward uh, to the leaders that both Sides are saying are not totally satisfactory to them, but why is he doing that? Because the previous peace accords have basically collapsed, and it's really uh, the Oslo Accord, really, Jimmy, has been just small portions of it remain in effect, uh, but most of it has been finished for quite a few years now.
0: You know, it's interesting to me that there was, and I think you and I talked about it uh, maybe a month ago or two. Anyway, the United States talking about the possibility. Of Israel being able to take control, complete control, sovereignty over the Golan Heights. Now, with Ambassador Bolton uh, there in Israel for a very important visit, he's making the statement: U.S. is not discussing uh, the possibility of giving the Golan Heights to the Jewish people. Prime Minister saying, Boy, I hope that is not the end of this discussion. We need that piece of real estate.
3: Well, Bolton, I think, was just saying there's a war going on in Syria. We don't know exactly what's going to be the final outcome, and we're certainly not going to talk to Israel about giving this territory to the Assad regime that's currently in control. And, Jimmy, the other main uh, thing on Bolton's agenda when he was in Jerusalem was to discuss... Uh, joint American-Israeli action against Iran and its proxies and uh, there was on Thursday a heavy bombing campaign begun and the reports in the region are that it was Israeli jets and American jets that were doing the bombing. This was of a Iraqi uh, militia that's uh, Shiite that's under the control of Qasem Soleimani, now he's the commander of the Al-Quds brigades in the Middle East for Iran. He's the one that said about a month ago he's just waiting for an order from Tehran to strike at Israel. Well, now he's been massing forces in western Iraq, apparently in anticipation of action in Syria, and he's going to reinforce his troops there. Well, the Israelis are not... Standing for it, and the Americans apparently not either. So that situation is heating up very, very much, Jimmy. And of course, that's the other end is the Golan Heights that you just mentioned uh, on the other side. So military action increasing, and certainly Bolton is not going to start bringing in that hot political potato right now. It's uh, just not the right time. And as I said earlier, I don't think it's the right time for a Palestinian talks to go on, and there's very little sign that it actually will happen.
0: Very interesting report coming from Israel, where Bolton was for a couple of days and treated with high honors had special meetings with him, with the Prime Minister and many other leaders of Israel as well. But he said that The highest importance for the United States would be blocking nukes coming in, nuclear weapons of some type coming in from Iran. That was a good assurance for the Israelis.
3: Oh, John Bolton is known in Israel for his uh, strong stand against Iran, consistent over the years. Of course, President Trump knew that as well when he appointed him as his National Security Advisor Chief and um, they love him, frankly, in Israel, because they think he understands them and the threats. And uh, he basically said that uh, they discussed a series of steps he did with the Russians about getting Iran out of Syria. He said, we fully support Israel's stand on that. There can be no Iranian forces remaining in Syria. Well, Iran seems to be... Fighting back, as I said, and Jimmy, the next few days we could see an escalation of the conflict to the point where it looks like a full war. There were hundreds of casualties in these bombing campaigns. This was of convoys of uh, pro Iranian forces moving towards the Syrian border, getting ready for action. So uh, Bolton's watching that very closely, and again, the Israelis are glad that they have, well, let's put it this way, that the Obama administration is no longer <laughs> in there and that the Trump administration is. And they're not so sure always about the president himself, I must say, but they really do trust Bolton and and the Secretary of State and others and uh, the Defense uh, sec- Secretary of Defense and all of that. And they trust Donald Trump, too, but uh, they do hope he doesn't push them in any ways that they can't go in any future talks. But, again, that's just so hypothetical at the moment we're looking at war not peace right now
0: well let's close on a positive no we've got about a minute left david the temple harp project is underway mcken shoshana harari started making biblical harps about 25 years ago. They've been involved in returning the music of the Messiah, and there are many saying that if uh, the initiative, the biblical initiative, with all the harps, are set in place, there could be redemption for the Jewish people. Boy, very interesting in these comments.
3: They're actually friends of mine, Jimmy, and I bought one of their harps for uh, my close friend Lance Lambert, and he had it on his bedroom door, and every time he opened it, We thought of that, 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 you know, Israel will be redeemed. This will be part of the restoration of Israel. It's been marvelous to watch that work progress.
0: And they are all ready to put that temple up. Final little touch, 4,000 arms that King David wanted to be played by the Levites when the temple would stand in Jerusalem. Great report, David. Boy, you covered a lot of items. Thank you so much for putting them all in there so people could understand the Middle East news update that our man, David Dolan, gives us each and every week. Thank you, David. We'll talk again next week.
3: You're welcome, Jimmy. Thank you. God bless.
0: We're going to take a break. When we come back, we're going to go to the European Union. That's another key region of this world. John Roode, who has been living in that region for about 25 years, is going to come to the broadcast table with his report. It's all ahead right here on Prophecy Today.
2: Please call Joshua Travel today and see how we can make your trip extra special. Call 423-821-3635 or visit us online
0: at joshuatravel.com. Welcome back to Prophecy Today. Here at Broadcast Central, Chattanooga, Tennessee, home for a couple of days. But uh, right after the broadcast, we're headed out to the Antioch Baptist Church. That's in Pearl, Mississippi, just outside of Jackson, Mississippi. If we drive fast, we can make it there. We've got a full day on Sunday, Sunday morning, 945. We'll go for two sessions then until 12. Break for a dinner on the ground. Praise God. Hallelujah. And then after that, I'll have another service. Come and join us at the Antioch Baptist Church, Pearl. Mississippi. Looking forward to being there, especially for that dinner on the grounds tomorrow. Well, let's get back to our broadcast partners, John Rood, who covers a very important region of our world. He covers the European Union. We need to have his report to help us understand how that half of the world is going to be involved in the prophetic scenario that's found in God's Word. John, uh, President Trump pulled out of the Iranian nuclear deal. The European Union has been working, trying to put it together. Now word coming from Iran that the EU must speed up to put everything together if they want to save the nuclear deal. Are they going to speed up? Are they just going to sit on idle? What's going to happen? Are they going to be able to put it together?
4: I find the situation a bit ironic that the United States pulling out of the deal Iran's response to this is now to put pressure on Europe saying you have to speed up this deal that we keep it. But Iran, of course, could do anything they wanted to out of the goodness of their heart, which uh, is not going to happen. So they're imposing these artificial new terms on Europe to keep the deal. But likewise, we see that there's a lot of pressure because Europe doesn't quite know what to do since there are uh, sanctions. If they go ahead and the European Union companies, then they will have the sanctions and the uh, fines from the United States, yet they've overruled that with a legal loophole saying that that's not valid. Nevertheless, Europe is finding itself in between here, so they don't really know what to do. They're being a bit slow. Iran sees it as an opportunity to put on pressure and just to be certain of that, they just recently reopened a nuclear plant that was idle for nine years. So they're preparing to increase their
0: uranium enrichment
4: through that. So it's, it's a situation that right now Iran is trying to pressure people
0: yeah Iran always wanting to put pressure on whomever they may be negotiating with that is a negotiating tack for sure. Well, meanwhile, not only are they concerned about the Iranian nuclear deal, European Union diplomats expecting there's going to be a delay in Brexit, maybe even going beyond uh, the final day of decision in October. What do you know now
4: this is This is a pattern. You know, I've monitored and written on European Union affairs in, in the light of prophecy 20, 20 years. This is so very typical, Jimmy. They they let the cat out of the bag, so to speak. They sort of what I call test the waters. And so they'll say something just to sort of see what the reaction is to get ready for it. I imagine that's a pretty uh, standard political ploy, but it's just so very obvious with the European Union to have a deal that's ratified by March 2019 deadline. Uh, Basically, they're saying October summit, the EU summit in Brussels, would be the deadline. Now, the idea of a no deal, which we've discussed in in recent weeks, is very apparent. So now they're saying there could be a November summit. We'll do our best for October, but there could be a November summit. Well, when you look into it a bit further... Now there's actually talk saying there. Well, we have the December summit in the <laughs> mid and uh, mid December, and that would be the cutoff point. Actually, the fact that the uh, the foreign office of the European Union has actually made statements of this is pretty much showing us that they are preparing for a no deal. And what is a no deal? A no deal is still a deal. Uh, one of the biggest. Uh, Things affecting it, of course, is the situation with Ireland, uh, having a hard border between Ireland and Northern Ireland. Um, two years ago, I was the speaker for the Northern Ireland National Prayer Breakfast, and so I've done quite a bit in, in, on the entire island of Ireland, and uh, this has now been seemingly smaller a uh, place is being at the forefront of this entire Brexit
3: deal.
0: Yeah, it looks like uh, that thing's going to go on continuously. I chuckled there. You said, "Well, October and wait a minute, November, hey, December, absolutely." So, (laughs) well, there has been an interesting development: a rise of Euro Asianism. Uh, That is a situation where many Asians are coming into Europe. Is that going to affect anything as far as either one of these issues would be concerned?
4: This is a geopolitical situation that is really worthy of looking into. You have, you have Russia that is, has an initiative to move east. And then you have China, which has an initiative to move west. So it's possible east meets west in Central Asia, and Russia and China could have some type of conflict. Before Russia had its expansionism phase, three-quarters of Russia is in Asia and uh, they didn't have much of an opposition at that time. China, of course, could really overshadow Russia, and so both countries have these initiatives. Russia helped form what's the Eurasian Economic Union. That was formed in 2014. Today, that's Russia, Armenia, Belarus, Kazakhstan, Kyrgyzstan. At the same time, China in 2013 came out, which, which is the Belt Road Initiative, BRI, and known also as the Silk Road Economic Belt. So they're working with connectivity and market and integration going to the east, as, as far east as Europe. And actually in the early 2000s, China had what was just called a March West Doctrine. And so they would like to avoid conflict with the United States, and they're uh, spreading their influence towards Europe. But, of course, Russia and what they've attempted is in the middle of that. Russia has not had the economic success to compete with China. Chinese and Russian militaries work together. They have some joint exercises. They share missile defense system information. Nevertheless, it appears the possibility of some type of collision would be more likely than a cooperation. And all this sort of reminds me of Revelation 16, the angel pours the sixth bowl, the Euphrates River dries up and prepares the way for the kings from the east, which leads to Armageddon.
0: Well, it's a very interesting development going on. In fact. The players that you're mentioning, the European Union, Russia, and China, all included in that prophetic scenario, not only chapter 16 of Revelation, but other locations as well. More on that when we take a look at the book, and more on the move by China with another of our broadcast partners on the broadcast today. Hey, John, thank you for the update. We need to stay on top of what is happening in the European Union. You do an excellent job for us. You've lived there so long, you know all the the back alleys. So we appreciate your input when you come to the broadcast table. Thank you so much. We'll talk again next week. My pleasure. The European Union. Update always key. And you see, according to our conversation, how the political activities there in the EU are setting the stage for the prophetic scenario that's going to unfold as foretold in God's word. Colonel Bob McGinnis is going to join us now. He works his day job at the Pentagon, but he's an author of many books. he got a brand new one coming out real soon, does a lot of television interviews, and indeed we are thrilled when we can catch him just for a, a couple of comments about whatever may be going on in the world. Bob, tell us about this new book, will you please?
5: Well, Alliance for Evil, it was written basically because I began to see all the indicators of a new Cold War, Jimmy. You know, I lived as many people my age through the incredibly frightening period of of history in which we were thinking of a nuclear holocaust at any particular time. And, of course, I was a, a member of the armed forces and served on the demilitarized zone and. Korea. I served on the Iron Curtain, uh, waiting for the Russians to attack. I even visited the Soviet Union and saw firsthand some of the types of lifestyles that people were forced to to live under. Uh, So these and reports of countless thousands, if not millions, that were killed at the hands of the communists, that was a period of time uh, frightening, 1945 to 1991. Well, since that time, we've had a bit of a, a, a calmer. Period of time now, the indicators are just lighting up the the atmosphere of a new Cold War that you know really started to light up everything around me. In Alliance for Evil, I identify sixteen specific indicators, and absolutely every day, Jimmy, they're validated here in the last couple of days. I've heard about a Chinese-Russian military joint exercise that involves nuclear war games. Uh, I've heard about the, the Chinese twisting the arm of the El Salvadorians so that they can develop a port in Latin America for, you know, ostensibly for their economic prowess, but really it's a military facility. They are building all over the world. We're ratcheting up military operations in the North Atlantic, and the CNO, Chief for Naval Operations here in the United States, said that we're really in the fourth Atlantic battle, which... Previously, you know, they were you know, World War One, World War II, and then, of course, the Cold War, and now the fourth one. We're seeing Chinese with their Belt and Road Initiative, which is a priority of President Xi, you know, that is reaching out across the globe, taking charge of countries through leveraging the giving of billions of dollars in exchange for infrastructure, and as a result, their military is pushing out all the time. I mean, the indicators are just phenomenal. You know, that's why I wrote the book. And it's a frightening time. And, and of course, this very well could be. And, you know, I'm, I'm not a prophet, but it very well could be uh, the precursor to the end time.
0: Well, I would have to agree 100% with that. It is the precursor. And China is going to play a key role, according to Revelation, chapter 16 and verse 12. And that's actually the reason I wanted to have a conversation with you right now. We can look at other geopolitical activities, but I think this must be at the top of the list. And we have been carrying on our website in our top 10 news items, the website prophecytoday.com, a number of articles about the rise of China and basically, economically and militarily. Is that a pretty good evaluation of how this is coming on?
5: Oh, it is. And In fact, last week, the Pentagon published its annual report on China, a congressionally mandated report. Of course, there was nothing in there really a surprise to me, uh, because I address everything and much more in Alliance of Evil and try to put it in perspective. But they've been publishing this report for decades, and of course, as you know, Jimmy, I've been writing about China for decades as well. And as a direct result, we look at their major investment in high technology, hypersonic weapons. You know, they're going into space in a, in a robust way. Uh, Fifth-generation fighters that are temporary to ours. They're beginning the early stages of a Nimitz-class aircraft carrier. That will be the fourth uh, they'll have in another five to seven years. That plus the fact that they, you know, under President Chi's leadership, have every intention of being the world leader in artificial intelligence. Now, artificial intelligence is going to change our future much like fire changed our ancient forefathers' futures. So, it's really phenomenal what's going on here. And I think to a certain degree, we're caught over here in our. Not understanding or focus too much on domestic issues and don't recognize that the world is getting more dangerous every day. And of course, now that Vladimir Putin, the authoritarian, and President Xi, an authoritarian, are working together closely, that's why I call it an alliance of evil because, you know, we fought the Soviet Union in the Cold War, but it was just the Soviet Union. Now you have the robust, nature of the Chinese, who, of course, by 2030 or 2035 are going to be the world's leading economy. And, of course, the Russians own more than half of the nuclear weapons. And they're working hand-in-glove together, and they have a, a large part of the real estate of the world already under their control. These are issues of some consequence that I think certainly believers need to take into account and understand this may in fact be what is going to play out as you indicated in revelation and you know some will argue it's part of ezekiel 38 39 as well
0: well all of these issues are key and it's very important we have a discussion on them here on the broadcast and especially with you since you have been watching China. I've known that is the case with you, my good friend, for many, many years. What about the naval presence there in the Mediterranean and then in the South China Sea as well?
5: Well, you know, if you looked at a map, uh, you would see the Spratly Islands. The Spratly Islands are to the southeast of Cambodia and to the west of the Philippines. Uh, The Spratly Islands, of course, have been occupied and built upon by dredging sand and making reef artificial islands, in which the Chinese have put uh, sophisticated radars on and anti-aircraft missiles, uh, anti-ship rockets have landed strategic bombers. So they've just claimed that entire region as their sovereign territory the entire South China Sea. And yet, it is so far from China. It's many hundreds of miles away. Uh, and then, of course, they're doing much the same in the East China Sea and the Chinooku Islands, which are contested and occupied to a certain degree by some Japanese and certainly surveyed or, or protected by them at this point. But the, the Chinese are have a strategy of three island uh, rings and... The first island belt, uh, of course, includes the South China Sea and the East China Sea. And then they go to the second belt, which, of course, includes Guam, which we have facilities on. And the third one includes Hawaii. Their literature suggests that as China grows militarily, it's going to expand across the three-island chain. Uh, And then, of course, in the Caribbean, uh, they have interests. They through P- the PLA, the People's Liberation Army, they have great control over the Suez Canal and the Panamanian government. Now they want El Salvador, and, of course, they're working closely with Brazil and you know Chile and Bolivia. Um, they're working all over Africa. We constantly see the Chinese you know, leveraging uh, much of eastern Africa. And, of course, they've established in the last year a naval facility in Djibouti. Uh, but they're building naval facilities in Pakistan, they have leveraged Sri Lanka, they've leveraged Perth, Australia, and they've leveraged a number of ports uh, in Europe as well through their financial investment. So the Chinese, I suppose to a surprise of a lot of people, are now a global power. Uh, Even the CIA, one of their regional experts, said just a couple of weeks ago that we are in a new Cold War with the Chinese and Unfortunately, a lot of Americans uh, really don't understand how significant this is and how dangerous it is for our futures.
0: Well, a naval presence also in the Mediterranean brings about a presence, and uh, a brand-new presence, as far as I know, in Syria. And they're suggesting to the Syrian leadership, hey, we can come into Syria, we can rebuild the entire nation, Get you super powered, and that plays into an end time scenario. What do we know about China in Syria, and, and what they have planned there?
5: Well, yeah, of course, the, the Russians have gone in there and kind of paved the way um, because Putin signed with Assad a 40-year agreement, and so Assad has already given him Tarsus and you know an airfield near. near Damascus. But the Chinese, they want to play kind of a a background role. In other words, they're willing to provide aid, which is really uh, a loan which they'll leverage for their own purposes. And so, you know, working with the help of uh, the Russians, uh, certainly the Iranians that are already well embedded there, the Chinese want to be more manipulative of the government because they're they expect that the U.S. and Russia may check one another uh, in place, but it's so the Chinese kind of move in behind the scenes. That's not surprising. Yeah, If you look at what they're starting to do through their Belt and Road initiative across the old Silk Road that, of course, runs through Iran, uh, right by Baghdad, all the way to the underbelly of Europe, they're working deals with countries along that route to put together rail stations, to put together ports, uh, and, of course, uh, then they're going to leverage, you know, for their own purposes, those infrastructures to support their own commerce. The Chinese are far more than just an economic power. They have an ideological bent, uh, and, of course, they're going to use their robust military, which to a lot of people it will be surprising that when you look at their budget and you calculate it in a way that is really wise, and that is you don't look at the personnel cost like you would with ours. You just look at how they invest in armaments and so forth. Theirs actually exceeds ours when you set aside personnel cost. Uh, That's scary. You won't find that in the press very often because people don't take into account arms purchases, which are not done by the PLA. They don't take into account a lot of infrastructure costs and so forth. In the U.S. military, all of that's kind of piled together in one lump sum. And, of course, we pay our soldiers and airmen and Marines much more than the Chinese would. So our budget, though, is incredibly large. It's large by 50% because of the cost of personnel, whereas the Chinese don't have to do that.
0: Interesting. The reason, of course, behind the fact that I wanted to talk with Colonel Bob McGinnis, whose day job is at the Pentagon in strategic planning, is because of what China is doing They're developing economically and militarily to a position, and in fact, even that Belt and Road Initiative and the rebuilding of Syria plays a key role in that plan as well, but they're developing a desire, actually, to dominate and become the ruler of the entire world, are they not, Bob?
5: Yeah, I believe that is true, Jimmy, and I know that a lot of people will not appreciate that, but when you look at what... President Xi said at the 19th Congress last October, and the fact that the Politburo uh, and the Parliament amended the Constitution to allow President Xi to rule for life, much like Mao Zedong. Uh, And you look at the writings of President Xi, of course, how he is completely reorganized as this new Pentagon report goes into the military. They're mimicking us in structure, uh, and, of course, they're stealing us blind uh, as President Trump often says, to intellectual property. And a lot of that intellectual property, of course, is in defense-related issues. That's why they steal our stealth technology, our nuclear technology, uh, our artificial intelligence technology. You know, there's, there's something in the order of some estimates as many as 25,000 Chinese spies in the United States alone. And then, of course, they use people of Chinese descent, uh, to leverage them. And that's something the FBI director testified a couple of weeks ago uh, that that's one way in which they've been very, very successful. So the Chinese are, it's past time that we have to get deadly serious about the threat that they pose because they are incredibly ambitious. Uh, they do want to dominate the world. And if we turn a blind eye any longer, uh, they will.
0: They absolutely will by the way, that's what the prophetic scenario calls for in God's Word. More about that when we take a look at the book in just a few moments. Bob, thank you so very much. A very important report that you've just given us. Give us the name of your book and where we can get it.
3: Well, it's
5: Alliance of Evil, Jimmy. Uh, it's on Amazon. It's in Barnes & Noble.
0: I just got my copy recently, and I'm so excited about the opportunity to read it. Just got it when I got back home. Bob, thank you so very much. Always a joy to be able to talk with you. Great, informative reports you always give us. Appreciate it. Thank you, good buddy. Thank you Jimmy. We're going to now have some prophecy Q&A. One of the joys of my life is being to able to respond to people who have prophecy questions. We're going to do it on the air. Jim Jr is coming to this broadcast table, Jim, what's the question? Larry Lee sends in a question. What is the requirement to be in the catching away in 1st Thessalonians 4:17? Well, 1st Thessalonians 4, 17? Well, 1 Thessalonians 4 Verses 13 to 18 is the passage of scripture as it relates to the introduction by Paul to the people in Thessaloniki, a young group of Christians. I say young, I don't know how old they were age wise, but uh, they were very young in the Lord. Three weeks in the Lord, Paul had been there on a mission trip and he led them to the Lord, established a church. Then he sent them a letter, 1 Thessalonians, and explained about the rapture of the church. Now he's talking to a group of people who had come to know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. Look at verse 14. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so them also which sleep in Jesus will God bring with him. He's talking about giving the procedure of what's going to happen. The souls and the spirits of lost people go to Hades. The souls and spirits of born-again people go into the heavenlies. And now Paul is telling us Jesus Christ will bring those souls and spirits with him, those that have come to know him as Lord and Savior, back to the earth. And then he's going to raise those that have already died, those who would be in Christ. Verse 16, For the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, and with the voice of the archangel, and with the trump of God. Three sounds there, the shout by Jesus, uh, the voice of the archangel shouting as well, and the trump of God sounding. And then it says, and the dead in Christ shall rise first. Those who have bodies in graves or someplace scattered across this earth, they will raise first and then join together with their soul and spirit. And then, verse 17, we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them into the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so shall we ever be with the Lord. So the answer is the dead in Christ are people who have died before the rapture takes place, and they, those who are alive and remain, that's us who know Christ the Savior, we will be caught up to be with the Lord in the air forevermore.
2: Thank you, Larry, for that question. Lark Sessions sends in a question, and he's basically asking this, the question, how are uh, world leaders going to explain the disappearance of so many people?
0: Now, I would have to be a prophet or the <laughs> son of a prophet to be able to answer that particular question. But let me just say this. When it does happen, there will be the impact and the influence of the Antichrist and Satan who will help them to explain away actually what did happen. You might notice on television and in many of the movies coming out of Hollywood, uh, there's a lot of these movies and our television programs that are focusing on extraterrestrial events. In other words, Mm -hmm. the mysterious and all that's happening. Mm -hmm. I do believe that this is a setup. It's setting the world up so that someone can come and explain what happened to all the Christians. And with uh, the attack on Christians, not only in the Muslim world, but you'd have to say in our world as well, you have to realize that people would say, boy, it's good to have these Christians out of here. They were the ones causing all the problems. Glad they're gone. I think that's a part of what's going to be happening.
2: Again, great questions, and thanks, Dad, for taking those questions. It's time now for us to take a break, and when we come back, David James will be talking to Dad about an issue that's confronting the body of Christ right here on Prophecy Today Weekend.
0: Hi, everybody. Jimmy DeYoung here at Broadcast Central, Chattanooga, Tennessee. We welcome you back to the last half hour of the 90 minutes we ask for as we go around the world with our broadcast partners looking at current events in light of biblical prophecy. Great to have you back. want to remind you we're going to leave right after the broadcast. Judy and I will be making our way to Pearl, Mississippi. That's the Jackson, Mississippi area. We're going to be Sunday, Monday, and Tuesday at the Antioch Baptist Church. We're going to have a three-day prophecy conference. It starts on Sunday, basically all day. That's the Antioch Baptist Church, Pearl, Mississippi. Come join us for this prophecy conference. By the way, sometime later today, go to my website, prophecytoday.com. Go there to answer my poll question. Here's the question on the left-hand column as you scroll down. With the rise economically and militarily of China... Could this be setting the stage for the fulfillment of Revelation chapter 16 verse 12 and the major role of China in the last days? Well, that's the poll question. Go to my website, prophecytoday.com. Please answer that poll question and go to Joshua Travel to find out how you can join us on one of the Prophecy Today tours of Israel and also into Jordan to Petra. We'll be going to Turkey, also into Rome in the next year. You can be a part of one of these tours. Go to Joshua Travel. It'll tell you the dates, the itinerary, and what's going to be the cost everything you need to know. That's prophecytoday.com. We now bring to these microphones David James for our weekly conversation. We come to the broadcast table and bring an issue to discuss together that may be of key importance for those of you who know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior and your daily walk with him. David, uh, for the past week, a couple of weeks actually, every news outlet that I've been watching has been reporting on a massive grand jury report concerning widespread sexual abuse of children at the hands of Roman Catholic priests.
6: Yes, and it's something that I've been following closely as well. As you said, it's been in virtually every news outlet. I just happened to land on CNN, which and not necessarily an outlet that I follow closely, but they have a good expose of this and a good uh, initial report, and the title of their report on the Internet was Report Details Sexual Abuse by More Than 300 Priests in Pennsylvania's Catholic Church. And as you said, it's uh, out of a, a new grand jury report that says uh, the internal documents from six Catholic dioceses in Pennsylvania, show that more than 300 predator priests, in quotes, have been credibly accused of sexually abusing more than uh, a thousand child victims. The report goes on to say this is a quote from the report we believe that the real number of children whose records were lost to or uh, or who were afraid ever to come forward is in the thousands. And then it goes on to say priests were raping little boys and girls, and the men of God who were responsible for them not only did nothing, they hid it all. And they go on to list uh, the various types of priests and and their responsibilities. It includes uh, monsignors, auxiliary bishops, bishops, archbishops, uh, and cardinals, and that the grand jury concluded that the church's methods were actually a playbook for concealing the truth. So one of the most uh, important things to recognize is that these come from internal documents, which means that for the past 70 years, which is the time frame for this, uh, these are six Catholic dioceses that have actually documented all of this, and it, it's all it's all on file. So it's it's a, in a it's a massive cover up, and and again, this is only six of eight dioceses in Pennsylvania, and this is just one state in the union, and it only captures a, a fraction, probably, of those who were actually affected.
0: David, before we get into the main part of our discussion today, it might be helpful for you and for our listeners to understand why you follow what happens in the Catholic Church so closely.
6: Sure. Well, my wife uh, grew up Catholic, and she attended uh, Catholic Liberal Arts College, a women's college, just down the road about three miles from her house, which is actually where we're living now, just three miles from that school, and we met in college, and when we were both saved... In 1984, because um, much of her family and so many of our friends, and even my first manager, supervisor, the place where I worked when I got out of college, they were all Catholic. I, I had an immediate interest, in, uh, and we had only been saved for three months. And I, we both went to a Catholic bookstore in Indianapolis, and uh, I bought my first Catholic catechisms and theology books and started studying this. So this was 34 years ago, and I've been intensely studying it every ever since, almost exclusively uh, from Catholic sources, and uh, and have been teaching uh, this for 30 years in depth, Uh, and I teach it several times a year around the world. We were initially planning on going to Poland as missionaries, which is the most Catholic country in the world, and we ended up in Hungary, which is also a Catholic majority. So it's something that's uh, really been on my heart uh, from the very beginning.
0: And close to the experiences that you've had serving the Lord Jesus Christ. Well, and you know, when you stop to think about it, if you read some of the more detailed reports that you can get, then a sense of just how bad the situation is. Of course, we want to be careful about how we discuss this on air. But David, if you will, give us a sense of some of what actually has happened.
6: That's true. I'm not going to get nearly as graphic as even some of the reports that are widely available on the Internet. But just to give our listeners a sense, as you said, some of the victims were applied with alcohol, uh, groped and molested. Others were raped in various ways. They were brushed aside, and and they became uh, unknown victims, and certainly they were under the uh, abusive authority of men in uh, positions of leadership. In uh, one diocese, a priest impregnated a 17-year-old girl, forged a pastor's signature on a marriage certificate, and divorced the girl months later. This was known, and he was allowed to hide. There was a priest uh, who abused five sisters from the same family, Uh, In another situation, a priest raped a seven-year-old girl who was in the hospital after her tonsils were removed, and this just goes on and on and on.
0: You know, although many may try to deny a link between homosexuality and pedophilia, it's impossible to deny that there is a high number of homosexuals in the Catholic priesthood and a very high number of incidents of abuse of children by these priests.
6: I agree, and I think it's very difficult to actually deny the linkage. In my research, I went to uh, an article by Slate Magazine, which is actually a left-leaning and Politics and Arts magazine, but it's also known for its accurate reporting, at least when they quote sources and deal with sources. And I found some really disturbing things in this particular article. They say in the last half century, there's been an increased quote-unquote gaying of the priesthood in the West. Uh, Throughout the 1970s, several hundred men left the priesthood each year, many of them for marriage. And so as uh, straight priests left the church, the proportion of who were gay grew, and in fact, the Los Angeles Times found that 28% of priests uh, from the ages of 46 to 55 reported that they were gay. And in another report, this is a broad range, but they estimate that as many as 50% of U.S. priests are gay, and this is in stark contrast to the only 3.8% of people in the general population who identify as LGBT. So th- this is significant, and I don't think it's by accident that we're Seeing all of this take place. And I would say one reason is that homosexuality is an immoral lifestyle. It's a worldview and it's a lifestyle. And so there's nothing to prevent you, if that is your lifestyle and worldview, from moving to children as opposed to those who are in your age range when it comes to gratification like this. So there's really, once you knock down the biblical barrier, for homosexuality and immoral lifestyles. There's really anything goes, and I think that we're we're seeing that there really is a connection because of this lack of moral barriers.
0: David, how has the Catholic Church responded to all of this, and are there any plans about how to prevent this going forward?
6: Well, Fox News reported that uh, the Vatican did respond two or three days later, and some people actually thought that was too long a delay. There was one statement, uh, or part of the statement that did come out of the Vatican, even though the Pope was not quoted in that. The Vatican said the Church must learn hard lessons from its past, and there should be accountability for both abusers and those who permitted abuse to occur. The Washington Examiner, I think the next day, reported that Pope Francis broke his silence and said that they had abandoned the children. So there may be some structures being put in place, but this is so pervasive, I don't see that much is going to happen. I think perhaps the only or or at least one component would be put these reporting structures in place, do not hide it. But on the other hand, I think a practical thing would be to remove the matter of celibacy as a requirement for the priesthood. And in fact, in some places where there is a lack of priests, that has been considered, and they're allowing men who have been married to become priests. And in fact, there are those who have converted from Anglicanism to the Catholic Church who are married and who have been allowed to be priests for quite some time.
0: Boy, that's a very interesting point about the celibacy of the priesthood and an important one. Could you share just a moment, a brief history of celibacy in the Catholic Church itself?
6: Sure. Well, the the concept of celibacy, it comes from a Latin word, and a lot of people think it means abstinence from sex. That's not what it actually means originally. It means someone who is a bachelor, a single man, and of course, if you're going to follow biblical guidelines, if you are a bachelor and are not married, then uh, you would not be having sex. So that has come to be the way that we've understood it, both not being married and avoiding sex outside of marriage. But it actually goes back to... To the 4th century, the Council of Elvira uh, recommended that those priests who were married should not have sexual relations with their wives and not have children. So in the 1st centuries of the Church, almost for a millennium, many of the priests were married. And then uh, it wasn't really until the Second Lateran Council in 1139 when uh, priests were forbid to marry, and this was affirmed by the Council of Trent. But many people don't realize this. This is not a dogma of the Church. This is a regulation. A dogma, by definition, cannot be changed, but regulations can be changed at any time. For example, in the 60s, the eating meat on Fridays, that ban was lifted because it was not a dogma. It was a regulation. So actually the Pope... Uh, and the church could change this uh, at any time, and I would say it would probably be a very wise move.
0: Well, let's go to our bottom line all the time, and that's the Word of God. Now, as I've studied it, it seems true that we don't find celibacy as a requirement in the New Testament, and we do find, however, a clear statement, many clear statements about homosexual behavior. That's
6: exactly right. Romans chapter 1 makes it clear that homosexual behavior is actually the bottom of what I term the death spiral of humanity. It's a characteristic of what happens when society is plumbing the depths of sin just prior to God's judgment. In 1 Corinthians 6, uh, we read that among other lifestyles, homosexuals will not inherit the kingdom of heaven. On the flip side, concerning celibacy, we find that Peter was married. We don't really know that much about others. We know that Paul, in 1 Corinthians 7, says that it's a choice and it's not a gift that everyone has. And then when it comes to 1 Timothy 4, I'm not sure if this is an exact correlation, but I think it's something that needs to be considered. 1 Timothy, one of the main themes is doctrine in the church, right doctrine versus false teaching. In First Timothy Four says one of the characteristics of the last days will be forbidding to marry, so I think there are some con- connections, and I think we always need to keep this in mind and I think the Catholic Church needs to consider moving back to a biblical stand on this.
0: Well, this entire situation has been the main focus of many of the media news reporting organizations, and uh, David and I thought about it for several weeks. We thought we may bring this to our broadcast table a couple of weeks back. We just delayed it, but uh, we felt like we had to deal with it for the body of Christ to understand what the Bible has to say about the situation. David, great research. I think it was a topic we needed to discuss, as we always do when we come to this broadcast table. And we'll do that next week again. Thank you so much, David
6: great, Jimmy. Thanks for the opportunity to be with
0: you again. We're going to take a break right here, and when I come back, we're going to take a look at the book. We're going to put all the statements of my broadcast partners together, and then open God's Word to see how it fits into that end-time scenario that we are quickly approaching. That's all ahead, right here on Prophecy Today.
1: Prophecy <music> Today
6: I teach many different courses and seminars in the United States and around the world and can tailor the seminars for Sunday schools, Bible studies and church services and the courses for weekend conferences of 6-10 to hours. For more information you can go to the ABI website at biblicalintegrity.org That's one word, biblicalintegrity.org and click on Courses and Seminars on the main menu. You can also contact me personally through the contact page on the ABI website. I look forward to hearing from you.
0: It's time right now here on Prophecy Today for us to take a look at the book. On Prophecy Today weekend, our usual format was followed again today. The broadcast partners come to the broadcast table with me to give us their reports, key to understanding where we are in God's plan for the future looking at current events in light of biblical prophecy—that is, our theme— and these broadcast partners at ready to give us the details on the reports. So glad to have such a group of broadcast partners. By the way, if you had to miss any of my interviews, my conversation with these men, you can go to my website, prophecytoday.com. There go to PTRN, Prophecy Today Radio Network. And you'll find all of my interviews that have been archived. You can listen to them and you can tell a friend. They need to go to that location, hear the important information, come to an understanding of how God's prophetic plan for the end times is unfolding in our world today. If you will, let me give you a prophetic perspective on the reports from my broadcast partners. Number one, we had Ken Timmerman. He always is first out of the chute as we get ready to interact with these men and get the details behind the headlines. Ken in Washington, D.C., caught him on the run there. We were asking him about the Iranian troops that have massed around Iraq and Syria. Now, you might remember in previous reports we told you that Islamic State was something between 30 and 40,000 troops are massed in Iraq and Syria, the original sites of Islamic State. And now Iran is coming in to firm that up and make sure that they take control of it. Of course, Iraq is what we know as Biblical Babylon. That's Revelation chapter 18. It's the last thing that Jesus Christ does before he returns to the earth, he wipes out Babylon. That means he wipes out Iraq, Revelation chapter 18. And we mentioned Syria as well. That has to be the king of the north. That's found in book of Daniel chapter 11 and verse 40. Early on in verse 5 of chapter 11, it refers to the kings of the north and the south, the king of the north, Syria geographically, and the king of the south, Egypt, geographically. Well, when we're talking about what's going to happen, it's going to be Syria, Daniel 11, starting in verse 40, to make the first move against the Jewish state of Israel. And as we stay in the Middle East, we do that with our broadcast partner, David Dolan. His headline today, Hamas has set a goal to liberate Jerusalem. Now, they ultimately want to take charge of Jerusalem, but if you look at Ezekiel chapter 35, verse 5 says they'll rise up and kill the Jews, and verse 10 says they will steal their land. That's the plan of Hamas when they want to liberate Jerusalem. They'll move from where they are in the Gaza Strip unto the holy city, Jerusalem. They want the Hamas, want that piece of real estate to be the political capital of their state called Palestine it is going to be the focus of the Palestinian people. The little book of Obadiah, verses 15 to 18, tells us of that scenario. It says the ones who control the Temple Mount in Jerusalem, well, that would be the Palestinian people today. Hamas, a part of that, they are a radical element of the Palestinian body politic. They want to liberate the city of Jerusalem. John Rood is the man who covers the European Union for us. The European Union is a major player in the end times. You know there are going to be two major players at the beginning of the tribulation period. It will be Russia and the Alignment of Nations, found there in the Middle East today, Ezekiel chapter 38, Psalm 83, and Daniel chapter 11. But the European Union will come to power, the Ten Toes over in the book of Daniel chapter 2, the Ten Horns in Daniel chapter 7. That is indication, an apocalyptic phrase talking about the revival of the Roman Empire. Well, they will come to power. I'm talking about the European Union as the infrastructure for this revived Roman Empire. And then they'll be in conflict with Iran. Now, we see what's happening with the Iranian nuclear deal. It's seemingly falling apart because the United States pulled out But now the Iranians are telling the European Union, if you want to save this deal, you need to speed up what you're doing. We're watching that very closely because every single step both Iran and the European Union take is an indication of how Bible prophecy quickly moving to fulfillment. Colonel Bob McGinnis, he's been a China watcher for a number of years. We talked about China being on the rise economically, and militarily. As we watch this happening, this is the stages setting the way for Bible prophecy to be fulfilled. Remember China It's going to be a major player at the end of the tribulation period. Revelation chapter 16 and verse 12 says that the river Euphrates will be dried up to make way for the kings of the east. As China grows stronger and stronger economically and militarily, we can see that prophecy better coming into focus. Colonel Bob McGinnis gave us great insight into that. Jim Jr. had his prophecy question and answer time. You need to send us a question. We'd love to answer it. Send it to Jim Jr. at prophecytoday.com. And then, David James, we had a conversation about the scandal in the Catholic Church, child sex abuse. Remember, sodomy is one of the indicators that we're moving into the end times and the spread of it. Romans chapter 1, you need to read that passage because the Lord says he's going to turn all sodomites to a reprobate mind. This is serious business. We're watching it happen. You're not paying attention to it biblically. Remember what happened in Genesis 19. The Lord wiped out the sodomite community at Sodom and Gomorrah. And finally, it says in Luke, Jesus speaking in Luke chapter 17, as it was in the days of Lot, so shall it also be in the days of the coming of the Son of Man, homosexuality, sodomy running rampant across the world. And that's the time we're living in today. And that's my prophetic perspective on the news this week here on Prophecy Today want to remind you that all of these prophecies will be fulfilled. But when? After the rapture of the church. That rapture could happen at any moment. Having said that, nothing left for me to say, except let's keep looking up until.
2: Thank you so much for joining us today. This is Jay Johnson inviting you to join us again next week for more of Prophecy Today.